lived it so how could i Well, good morning, good morning. Don't you just love the beat that Ryan chose yep. uh, for that intro? I love it. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stacey Lemansky, as the promo video said, and I serve here as a member of our teaching team. Pastor Doug and his beautiful wife, Meg, are away on a much-needed break on the west side. Yes, yes. They are resting, and so there's a small team of us filling in for them this month. And we are in a series entitled Passages, and basically what that means is that each speaker chooses a passage from Scripture that the Lord is putting on their heart, and so each week is kind of, you know, a standalone sermon. And as I was praying about what to teach on, this week, I really felt strongly that the Lord impressed on me that I was supposed to teach on the person of Holy Spirit. And when I sensed this, I protested a little bit because I've taught on the person of Holy Spirit quite a few times, but as I protested, I should know better than to protest with the Lord, right? But anyway, we do sometimes. But as I did, I felt the Lord say to me, Stacy, it's been a few years and my people need a fresh filling of my spirit every day. So uh, just fair warning that some of the information that I'm going to teach this morning may be a repeat, especially if you attended the women's retreat a couple of years ago. Some of it may be familiar. But let's go ahead and just open in a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig in. I want you to put your seatbelt on because we have a lot of information to cover this morning. So Holy Spirit... We pray that you would come, and I pray that you would come and fall afresh on your people this morning, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was about 50 days after Jesus had been crucified, and the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem for the gift that the Father had promised. They were waiting for what Jesus himself called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told them, this is from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. We are going to be reading mostly out of the NIV this morning. Uh, so if you're reading from the Bible under your seat, the wording might be a little bit different, but all of the verses will be up on the screen. But Jesus said, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, the disciples were thinking about nationalism, but Jesus was thinking about baptism. And when the day arrived that the gift of the Father was to come, Acts 2 described it like this. Suddenly a sound of, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And in this passage, the Holy Spirit is described as a flame or a fire. The interesting thing about fire is that it spreads. And the fire of God was given at Pentecost and he filled every believer present. And that is still his desire today. That every believer would be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God. Now, contrary to what many are saying, I believe that we are actually living in one of the most exciting times in history. In spite of pandemics and political divisions and all the junk, I believe that we are living on the verge of the next great awakening. I believe that we're going to see revival because God wants to pour out his spirit on his people. But it won't happen if we resist what God wants to do. We don't want to be fire extinguishers. A.W. Tozer has one of my favorite quotes on this topic. And he says, evangelical Christianity believes it. He's referring to the fullness or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But few experience it. It lies under the snow forgotten. And I am praying that God may be able to melt away the ice from this blessed truth and let it spring up alive again. That the church and the people who hear may get some good out of it and not merely say, yeah, I believe. While it's buried under the snow of inactivity and non-attention. And my prayer this morning is that if this statement is true for anyone, even if it's just one person this morning, that we would allow the fire of God to melt away the ice so that we can burn with passion for him and his kingdom purposes. Amen? Well, I have a question for you this morning. How many of you believe that Jesus spoke the truth and that everything that he said was true? How many of you believe that? I, I do. I believe that. And I want you to hear what he said in John chapter 16, verse 7. He said, truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, then I will send him to you. Jesus himself said, it's better that I leave and send to you the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, Jesus is saying it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us than it is if Jesus was right here in the flesh. That is an astounding statement. How many of you would like to have Jesus walk in the room right now? I see a lot of hands back there. We all long to see him face to face. We would love to have Jesus give us some wisdom or watch him do a miracle. But if we believe that what he said is true, then we have to believe that what we currently have, the gift of the Father is better than that. And God has been highlighting this word gift to me as I've been preparing for this morning. And if we agree that God is good and that all of his gifts are good, then we can trust him that being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit is good. If we doubt that a gift that comes from God himself is not good, then in essence, we're doubting his nature as a good father. Now, I want to just spend a few minutes looking at how the Spirit worked in the life of Jesus because I think it's important if we're going to live a life that's dependent on the Spirit, let's look how uh, the Spirit worked in Jesus' life. The Scriptures teach us that the Spirit overshadowed Mary and Christ was conceived. He descended on Christ at his baptism. He sustained Christ during his time in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. The Spirit empowered Jesus to perform miracles, and the Spirit raised Jesus from the grave. Wow. Wow. The Holy Spirit was Christ's constant companion during his earthly life. And if Jesus relied on the power of the Spirit to accomplish his divine assignment, how much more should we? I want you to just listen to the language of some of these verses. You don't need to look them up, but just just take a listen from Luke chapter 3. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And from John chapter 5, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, I realize that there is uh, some mystery in what I'm about to teach, but I believe that the scriptures teach us that Jesus voluntarily laid aside his divine nature while he was living on the earth, and he lived instead in reliance on the power of the Spirit to accomplish the will of the Father. Remember, Jordan taught us a couple of weeks ago from Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself. And I believe that one of the reasons he did this is so that he could live as an example to us. 
He's teaching us as his followers how to live a life that is dependent on the Spirit. Living a Spirit-filled life is essentially the difference between accomplishing what we can do through our own effort and, uh, and strength versus accomplishing what God can do through us as we co-labor with him. It's that important. Think about the disciples. They went from being a bunch of folks who were denying God. Remember when Jesus was arrested, Peter, who was Jesus' right-hand man, denied that he even knew Jesus. And then after the crucifixion, they were kind of hiding in an upper room in fear. And who can blame them? Their leader had just been murdered through crucifixion. Fast forward a few chapters later, and they are doing the exact opposite. They are out in the marketplace sharing the gospel boldly. And what was the difference? It was the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost happened in between those events. Amen? So I want to just um, hit the pause button for a minute and take a second, and I want to just backtrack on this idea because I've taught on this topic on the person of Holy Spirit quite a number of times, and what I found is that there can be a lot of confusion as it relates to the sealing of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, and the filling of the Spirit, and I don't want there to be any confusion. So Let's talk about this for, for just a second. The scriptures make it very clear that at the moment someone trusts in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of that person. And there are two ways that the Spirit works in them, through the sealing and the indwelling and through the filling. So let's talk about the sealing and indwelling. 2 Corinthians says, It is God who establishes us in Christ and has anointed us. By the way, you're anointed. And who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And it's clear from the scriptures that under the new covenant, remember the old covenant was sort of the Mosaic law, but under the new covenant, which is salvation by grace through faith, every believer is now sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal on a document in the New Testament indicated its owner. So God seals us with his Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, indicating that we are now his property. We belong to him. It symbolizes our security and our safety. We have a new identity under the new covenant, we have a new identity as his child. We are his sons and we are his daughters. We are his beloved ones. Yes. And he indwells us. Church, this is the mystery of all mysteries. That the God of the universe actually lives inside of us, pastoring us and caring for our soul. He is the one who empowers us to live for him. 
All true believers are carriers of his presence. We carry within us the greatest treasure known to mankind, which is the indwelling spirit of God. Now let's talk about the work of the filling, the filling of the believer. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus. He was writing the letter to believers. And this is what he said. He said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying is, don't seek pleasure from trying to satisfy the desires of your flesh in drunkenness and wild living, because that will only leave you empty. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, which will lead you overflowing. Paul is making a distinction here, and he's he's saying, don't be under the influence of alcohol. Don't let alcohol rule you, but instead be under the influence of the Spirit. Let the Spirit rule you. Now, the literal translation of this verse means to keep on being filled. It implies an ongoing process. And I've heard it said that the filling of the Spirit is more like a river than a lake. The Spirit of Christ is the living waters. He's meant to be a continual stream filling us and flowing out of us onto others. The other important point that's, uh, I think, uh, worthy of note here is that the language of the verse is a command. And I think it's important to note the implication of the command is that some believers may not be filled with his spirit, right? See, if all believers were automatically filled with the Spirit of God, then why would, God, why would Paul command us to be filled? See, all believers in Christ have been sealed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but not all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is a difference. Does that make sense? Being sealed and indwelt by the Spirit is something that happens automatically at the time of salvation, but being filled with the Spirit is something that we need to seek out, if you will, from God. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We, we use that word, we use that language, uh, I want to be filled with the Spirit, I want to be baptized in the Spirit, but what is, does that actually mean? And I'm glad you asked because I have some thoughts on the subject. I'm sure there are many great definitions out there, but this is what I have come up with. It's the place when God has freedom to occupy every part of our lives. Nothing is hidden. It's when the Spirit is able to accomplish all that He has purposed and planned in our lives, which includes both the inner transformation of our soul and character through the fruit of the Spirit, as well as the outworking of that in our service through the gifts of the Spirit. Now, what does this look like for me practically in my day-to-day life? And I thought of a few examples. I know I'm flowing in the Spirit 
when I am criticized or attacked and I choose to respond in kindness, forgiveness, and prayer for that individual. When everything inside of me wants to respond differently, but I choose to respond in the flow of the Spirit, I respond as Christ would. Yes. Sometimes I say things that are wiser than I know. Does that ever happen to you where words come out of your mouth and you're looking around like, who said that? Because you know that that thought did not originate in your own mind. It came from God. It came into my heart, into my soul, and out of my mouth. That is one of the ways that the Spirit works in my life. Sometimes when I'm at work and I'm under pressure and I have a patient who's bleeding or hemorrhaging, I will say a quick prayer and I will say, bleeding, stop in the name of Jesus. And it will. It doesn't happen every time, but it's an example where heaven is coming down to earth and it's helping the individual that I am praying for. There's nothing magical about my words. It's only that I'm praying in Jesus' name by the power of the Spirit for this individual. Amen? And if I had to narrow down the primary purpose of being filled with God's spirit, I would simply say it's for, number one, intimacy with God, and number two, power in ministry. And I want to talk about this first point for a minute. It's one of my absolute favorite things to talk about intimacy with God by understanding the presence of God. And this part of my talk uh, was inspired by two books. One is called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And the second is a book called River Dwellers by Rob Reimer. Now, I recommend both of these books, but if you have to choose one, I would highly recommend this book called River Dwellers. It is an absolute must read for every believer. I really believe it is sort of a guidebook on how to live in the river, as you, as you will. But Rob Reimer talks about three ways that we can experience the presence of God. And the first is through what's called his omnipresence. His omnipresence. This is a spiritual reality that God's presence is everywhere at all times, right? God made the earth and he owns it. There's nowhere that we, no place we can go to escape his presence. That is his omnipresence. The second way to think about God's presence is his manifest presence. And this is when God's presence comes and shows up in a very practical and tangible way that we can experience with our five senses. The disciples experienced the manifest presence at Pentecost, right? They saw the flames with their eyes. They felt the wind. They spoke in other tongues. It, it was very experiential. That is God's manifest presence. But we can't always 
experience God's manifest presence because we don't control God. But because the Spirit of God lives in us, we have continual access to the presence of God in what might be called his cultivated presence, or as Brother Lawrence called it, the practice of the presence of God. Cultivating the presence of God is not about pretending or manufacturing his presence. Again, I've already said it once, but we don't control, manipulate, or produce the presence of God. That's not the way it works. But God is here. And by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can begin to cultivate a growing awareness of his presence at all times. As Rob Reimer says, he says, we can learn to find God wherever life finds us. And I love that quote. Practicing the presence of God can dramatically alter how we experience our everyday, sometimes ordinary and even mundane lives at times. I don't claim to be an expert on the topic. I'm on the journey myself. But I've experienced firsthand that abiding in a continual place of his presence can fill us with joy and peace even when we're going through difficult situations. And the presence of God is so sweet. Nothing can satisfy our soul like the presence of God. Now, I want to take you back and remind you that we're talking about what is the purpose of being filled with his spirit. The first was for intimacy with God. The second is for power in ministry. He fills us to spill us, as they say. And Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus said, anyone. That includes every single person in this room. This is not just for the spiritual giants amongst us. It's not just for Pastor Doug and Pastor Nathan and Kevin and the elders. This is for all of us. Anyone who has faith in him will do the things that he did in his earthly ministry. And he said, even greater. But how? Someone once said, living the Christian life is not difficult, it's impossible. And I would say they are absolutely correct because the scripture tells us to do impossible things. Let's start with the command to be holy. Have you ever tried to be holy in your own strength? Impossible. It doesn't work that way. We become holy as a direct result of the Spirit's work inside of us, transforming us more into the image of God. The scripture tells us to do impossible things like heal the sick and free people from demonic torment. 
Listen, today people are still living under demonic torment and we have been given the assignment to set them free. But we can't do that in our own strength. We need the power, the strength, and the enabling that only God can do. Amen? So why aren't we living in the power and fullness of the Spirit? Well, I want to just throw out some reasons that you can think about this morning and see if any of them land on you. But before I do that, I just want to say that the evil one fiercely opposes the teaching of the Spirit-filled life because he knows that the Spirit-filled life is the power-filled life. This is not the life of man-centered works. This is the life of God-centered works. And honestly, without the power of God, we are no threat to the evil one because we cannot overcome him in our own strength. So I guess I'm giving you fair warning that when you seek to live a spirit-filled life, you may encounter more spiritual warfare. And you have to be prepared for that. Jesus said, count the cost. But in addition to the spiritual warfare, what are some of the common reasons that we as believers are not filled with the Spirit? And the first is simple, I think. It's that maybe we don't know about it. And this is really just a lack of knowledge about the third person of the Trinity. Maybe we're unaware that we're actually commanded to be filled. We don't know that there are higher places in God. And if this is true, that that's okay. This is an honest reason until now. Because now you know. And once we know a truth, we're actually held to a higher standard after we know as compared to before we know. Amen? The second reason that we may not be filled with God's spirit is because we're fearful or skeptical because of abuse that has happened in the church around the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about spiritual abuse in general. I'm specifically talking about abuse around the person of Holy Spirit. And let's just be honest. There have been abuses and many of us want to avoid those abuses And I think that's good. We're not looking for that. But look, the Holy Spirit is the very essence of Jesus himself. And in Acts 16, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Who doesn't want more of that. See, if we are overreacting to the abuse that's happened around the person of Holy Spirit by saying, I don't want anything to do with that because I don't want to, you know, get involved with that abuse, then guess what? We're also in error because we've been commanded to be filled I've heard it said that overreaction to error generally creates more error. The third reason that we may not be filled with God's spirit 
is because we're doing what the scripture calls grieving the spirit. And did you know that we can actually grieve the spirit by choosing repetitive sin? When we make a conscious choice to habitually sin, we grieve the spirit and we can actually block the flow of the spirit in our lives. He's called holy for a reason. God likes to fill those who are hungry enough to at least be on the journey. I'm not talking about some, you know, Christian perfectionism, but at least on the journey of getting free from the gossip and the porn and the pride, materialism, greed, and all the junk that keeps us stuck and bound. Let's not be a people who's grieving the spirit this morning. The fourth reason that we may not be filled is because we have built our entire faith on logic and reason. Knowing the scriptures is good and using our mind to think through complex theological issues is also good. But when it comes to the spirit, we cannot control the spirit with our mind. If we lean too much on our own understanding, we may limit his work in our life. And the last reason that I want to bring forth this morning is something that I really believe that God is highlighting for me, and it's this. Some of us may be afraid of total surrender. Some of us may be afraid to totally surrender our lives to God. Maybe we're afraid that if we do that, God will call us to move to Africa as a missionary, or he may call us to give away 30% of our income instead of the comfortable 10. He may call us to end a relationship that we're enjoying. He may call us to go in a completely different direction than we had planned for our life. And to that, I would say, you're right. He may. When we submit to the lordship of Jesus, he's just that. He's the Lord. We submit our right to make the decisions for our lives to him. Control and surrender oppose each other in this spiritual journey. Listen, the spirit-filled life is not just for the spiritual giants, but it is reserved for those who are ready to give Jesus their full and unconditional yes. Some of you may know Dan Platt. He sometimes leads worship on stage, and we had him over a couple of weeks ago. And he told us that the Lord shared with him that trying to live the Jesus life without the Holy Spirit empowering you is like being in a sailboat and choosing to row instead of putting up the sail. Now, I don't know much about sailboats. I've only been on Bill and Allie's once, but I do know this. Who would ever choose to row 
when you can put up the sail and allow the wind of God to carry you along. Does anyone want to stop straining so hard at the oar? Does anyone want to live an exciting adventure with God's guidance and direction? Does anyone want to have a greater impact for the kingdom of God? Does anyone want to leave a greater spiritual legacy for their children? Does anyone want more intimacy with God? Is anyone hungry for more of Jesus? Is anyone thirsty for the living waters? Does anyone want to receive the gift from the Father? Because Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit. So I want to just give you a minute this morning to think about anything that could be blocking or hindering the filling of God's spirit in your life right now. If you need to confess or repent from sin, then do that. If you're bound in fear, I can so relate to that. But talk to God about your fears. He's a good father. If you're relying too much on logic or reason, your own understanding, talk to God about that. He's ready to receive us wherever we are. So let's just be quiet for a minute and talk to our father. there was a group of believers called the Moravians who lived together on a compound in Germany called Herrenhunt. And God poured out his spirit on this group of people in such a unique way that they started 24-7 prayer 365 days a year for 100 years. This prayer movement is largely accredited for the first great awakening and as they sent missionaries out all over the world. In fact, 
Some of the stories are that some of these missionaries went to the Caribbean islands and the only way that they could gain access onto the island is if they themselves, if they sold themselves into slavery. That's how radical these people were to share the love of God. But it didn't always, uh, it didn't start out this way. This group of people initially came together uh, to live at Heron Hunt from all over the region, and they had a lot of differing opinions. They were a mosaic. Their disagreements became so divisive that it looked like the entire community would collapse until one day they decided that they were going to put their devotion to Christ and His love and unity above their disagreements and the rest is history. God poured out His Spirit on them. And like the Moravians, we are a very diverse group of people with a lot of different opinions. But I truly believe that God likes to pour out His Spirit on a group of people who agree to put His kingdom purposes above the way we see life. Put His unity above our preferences. I want to make sure that I, I, I mention unity. I'm not talking about uniform, uniformity. Do you realize that we can vehemently disagree with someone and still be very committed to that individual in love and unity? I believe that God wants to pour out His Spirit on this church. Yes. And in the words of Rob Reimer, revival is simply God pouring out His Spirit on a community of people. So this morning, if you want to receive more of God's Spirit, then I'm gonna invite you to stand and we are going to pray a prayer together. Father, Thank you for sending us the gift of your spirit to seal and dwell and fill us. Forgive me for in any way I have knowingly or unknowingly blocked the flow of your spirit in my life. I hold nothing back from you and I don't want anything held back from me. I pray now that you would fill me with your spirit so I can live the Jesus life that you are calling me to live. Lord, I bless your people this morning to know you more deeply, to serve you more powerfully through the filling of your spirit. Amen and amen. A couple of reminders. Next Sunday at six o'clock, we are going to be having our next revival night, which we have been calling Revive. We would love to uh, see you there and uh, continue to um, ask the Holy Spirit to come. Also, don't forget to sign up for SOAR tutoring. And if you have any need whatsoever, Kathy, did we have any words this morning? You sent it to me? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have my phone. Come on up, Kathy. Tell us what the words were real quick.
I'm sorry, you guys, but I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss out on this. Thank you. Those who are feeling weary and need encouragement, parents feeling stressed uh, about preparing their children for school, and someone with long fingers feeling irritation, uh, someone's having irritation in their fingers and they need it to be removed. So if any of those resonate with you, come down for prayer. If you have any need whatsoever, we would love to pray for you this morning. God bless you. Go in peace and we will see you next Sunday.